Oh, I got to think of my kicker intro. I'm glad that I waited then. Oh, no, I would have interrupted you. Don't worry. (laughs) Hello and welcome to the no, no, stop, stop everything. (laughs) The important part has not been done yet. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. I am the cornucopia of knowledge this week. Next to the man whose article series reminds you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. I'm the gravy that makes everything taste better. And I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. And if I had to compare myself to anything at the table, it's probably the cranberry sauce. Anyway, all of our articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the EDHREC cast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. What's our topic this week, fellas? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving decks. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, we wanted to take a nice deck tech for a sort of thematic commander, I think. And it should be a lot of fun. We're going to be talking about Thromok the Insatiable, which is what I call my stomach. (laughs) I just want to take a second and rewind and appreciate that that was probably our best intro bit that we've done. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. Except for it it raises the question regarding the uh, cranberry sauce, Joey. Are you talking like real, legit cranberry sauce or the stuff that's in the can that comes out with like still the metal ridges around the edge of it? I will plead the fifth on that one. All right. Anyway, let's get to the main topic. That was so tart. (laughs) Actually, before we get to the main topic, I do want to ask... We've been seeing a ton of Ultimate Masters previews, spoilers. It's been completely crazy. Are you guys excited for this set or what? It's disgusting so far. Yeah, it's not even fair how good this set is. And uh, I'm I'm super excited. Like, I I don't open packs hardly ever. And I'm really, really tempted to go do a draft. Yeah, I, no well, except the problem with the draft is going to be that you, there's going to be so many money cards that you are just going to assemble a terrible deck because you're like, oh, I can't pass this back to basics. That's going to be terrible in your draft environment. But you're, like, you're not going to pass that. So you're going to be you're, there's going to be so many miserable decks that you put together, which maybe that'll be fun too. I, I don't want to talk about back to basics because I'm taking a huge bath on that card. I have I have my playset of of all four, and I use them. They're not laying around, but. And I don't really even care, actually, because the set is so good. Like, I I, I don't care. Like, I'm going to make up so much value just buying, like, a dollar Eternal Witnesses and stuff like that. Like, this set is so good. Yeah, I'm so excited for a bunch of the cards that we're seeing here. I mean, we've got classics like Noble Hierarch and Tarmogoyf and things like that. Um, but then there's also just other stuff that I forgot I, I wanted. Uh, for example, the Command Zones preview card, Pattern of Rebirth, is one of my absolute favorites. I love that card in my Marin deck, and I'm just so happy that more people will be able to play that because it's so good in Marin of Clan Neltoth. Um, and also, hey, Command Zone gave us a really cool shout-out on the last show, so thanks a bunch, guys. Uh, other stuff that I'm excited in the set, though, like that Through the Breach art is just slaying me. It's oh, so, absolutely. so gorgeous. It's super great. Well, yeah, and, that and there's a lot of Archmage. There's so much good stuff. There's a lot of great details. Like somebody pointed out today that the um, Frexian Tower art is actually the the ruins of uh, Predator flagship. 
What? Yeah. So like, so like the the bow, the Predator flagship, is what the new Phyrexian Tower is. Nice. I, I had yeah. noticed that, but looking, yeah, yeah, that's that's super cool. I I like yeah. the art direction in general. Like, you could almost call this Therese Nielsen Masters. <laughs> uh, just like all this new art, it's super sharp. Yeah, including our preview card. EDHREC got the preview card Fecundity, and you can go check out Andrew Cummings' preview article on that on the main EDHREC webpage. He did an awesome job. So kudos for that. Kudos for the new art. Kudos for the set. It's so awesome. I am really, really excited. But we can't just gush about Ultimate Masters. We got to get on to the main topic. But we've got one more speed bump before we get to that main topic, to that Throwmock deck tech. We want to talk about some other holiday-themed commanders in our classic segment, Head to Head. Matt, will you start us off? Well, since I am the cornucopia of, of knowledge and all things good, the centerpiece, if you will, of this podcast, um, I'm going to go with Karametric God of the Harvest. Ah, uh, very food-themed. Very th- food-themed. So I'm looking at some of the top creatures there, and it looks like the deck if you take out all the Enchantress type stuff, because I'm not I'm not super keen on Karametra as an Enchantress commander. But in kind of a go wide, cast a lot of creatures every turn, ramp yourself really well. There are two really good top end cards that I want you guys to guess on which is played more between Elish Norn, Grand Cenobite, uh, which is five and white white for a four seven Vigilance Legendary Praetor. Also reads, other creatures you control get plus two plus two, Creatures your opponents control get minus two, minus two, versus Craterhoof Behemoth, the biggest beast mm. of them all. Five green, green, green for a five-five beast with haste. Uh, and when Craterhoof enters the battlefield, creatures you control gain trample and plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of creatures you control. Both are fantastic and goad wide decks. What do you guys think is played more in Karametra decks? Mm, that's an excellent question. My personal guess is going to be for the Elish Norn, just because I think it's a bit more available and Craterhoof has been a little harder to get. And maybe I'm completely biased because I actually own an Elish Norn, but I don't own a Craterhoof, but whatever, that's going to be my guess anyway. Yeah, I mean, they're both kind of win conditions in that deck. You know, if you've got 10, yeah. 10 bodies down and you drop an Elish Norn, that wins the game just as easily as a Craterhoof does. I still think kind of the mystique of Crater Hoof as a game ender probably pushes it over the top, but you know, they're not cheap cards, either of them. And nope. if you told me I was wrong, I wouldn't be shocked. So I'm going to go with Crater Hoof, I think, but they're both cards that probably do a whole lot of work in that deck. Well, yeah, they, they both do a whole lot of work. You are absolutely right about that. But Joey is going to be right this week. Ooh. He breaks, <laughs> breaks his streak. He didn't get anything right last time, so yeah, it's about, <laughs> about time. It's uh, a holiday Elish- miracle! Oh, <laughs> It's not Christmas yet. <laughs> give, give it time. Give it time. <laughs> Thanksgiving is the gateway drug to Christmas. When wow. you think about it. Anyway, what are the actual stats on those so, cards? So, Elish Norn is played in 22% of Karametrodex. Craterhoof, 21%. So, very narrow margin. Dana, you almost were right. But Elish Norn does eke it out. Yeah, and Karametra is one of those decks that definitely likes having a nice solid win condition once it gets all of those creatures and those lands into play. So having a big creature like that is definitely fantastic, either one of them. Yep. All right, Dana, what's yours? So I'm going to go with Grathama the All-Devouring. Mm, also very hunger-related. Yeah, it seems very uh, very Thanksgiving-esque. Um, a little bit. There's there's a lot of worms in the Grathama decks though. There it, it's it's kind of the go-to choice for worm tribal, such as it is. I don't know if you know there's a lot of 
really strong worm tribal decks out there, but that's the go-to if you want to make that. So of the uh, the top two worms in Grothama decks are Palaka Worm and Worm Coil Engine. Which of those two in, in Grothama Worm Tribal decks has the most representation? Ooh, that's a great mm. one. Palaka Worm gains you life and draws you a card when it dies. Yep. Is that correct? Gains you 7-7 seven, seven life. Yep, that's right. And then, of course, Worm Coil Engine divides into two other awesome worms. Oof. Um, because I do feel as though the Worm Coil Engine is definitely, like, objectively the better card. Yes. But, but the Worm Tribal spin to it, that's going to make me think uh, probably the Palaka Worm. If, there, if we're looking at the Worm Tribal styles for the Grothama deck, then I think that that's one of the classics. See, I, I would be remiss to, to say against Palaka Worm. One of my really good buddies that actually got me into the game, one of my favorite lines ever was, uh, we asked him, so what deck doesn't have Palaka Worm in there? And he looked at us super <laughs> confused. He's like, I know what you're saying. I have Palaka Worm in every deck. So, <laughs> but I'm going to pick against him. Uh, I'm, I'm very sorry, but I, I think Worm Coil is just too good. It's such a powerhouse card. Uh, Palaka Worm is very, very good, but I will go with Worm Coil. Well, the answer is Palaka Worm. It is yes. in 3% more decks um, that are Worm Tribal. And if you break it out further than that, if you just look at Grothama decks in general, it's still in more than Worm Coil Engine. It's in really? like 60% more decks. I would guess huh. that's avail- availability in price because Worm Coil is still... It is close- pricey. Yeah, closing in on $20. Um, so, so it doesn't matter how good it is. At the end of the day, budget kind of reigns supreme there. Gotta love it. Alrighty, let's move on now to my hunger-themed Thanksgiving food-themed head-to-head. We're literally going to be talking about the Big Baddie Vorenklex voice of hunger, because, you know, of course we are. We gotta talk about that food this week. Anyway, we all know Vorenklex voice of hunger. He is that awesome green praetor who doubles your mana and then effectively halves your opponent's mana by forcing it not to untap if they use it while they... While it's out, is just absolutely obnoxious. And I want to know if you guys can guess which of these two legendary creatures shows up more in a Vorinclex deck. We've got Goreclaw, Terror of Calcisma, the 4-mana 4-3 bear that reduces the cost of your creature spells with power 4 or greater by 2, and who also buffs up your creatures whenever it attacks. Or, get this, Grothama All-Devouring, the worm that draws you cards when it dies if people fought it. Which of those is more popular for Vorinclex? Man, I, I don't see any particular, like they both make sense in the deck. And I don't think one jumps out at me more than the other. I'm going to go with Grathama, though I think people like the idea of drawing a fistful of cards. So I could see people slotting that into their Vorinclex deck. The mana reduction's nice, but in green you have so many ways to do that via ramp. So I will go with Grathama, the all devouring. I will disagree with you. Um, I'll go with Goreclaw. I think that the ramp is really relevant. I mean, pseudo ramp, it's cost reducing um, in something that you want on the battlefield as soon as possible in Vorinclex. It's a very, very mean card. It's a very Matt Morgan-esque card. But yeah, I think you want Goreclaw there just to make it come out as quick as possible. And Matt has it. And you're right. It is mean. Goreclaw currently shows up in 83% of the decks of Vorinclex decks that have been built since Goreclaw was released. And Grothama has been uh, put into half of the eight decks that have shown up since Grothama was released. So, you know, not a ton of numbers there, but it was still pretty fun to look at. And Goreclaw, 83% versus Grothama, 50%. So, Matt, I have to give it to you, even if it is slightly begrudgingly so. 
Yeah, you'll you'll get over it eventually. It's the <laughs> holiday season. Everybody gets second chances. That's right. This is a holiday. And since it's a holiday, we wanted to talk about Thromok the Insatiable. Because you know what? It's Thanksgiving and we all want that food. So let's move on now to that deck tech. As we all know, Thromok the Insatiable is one of those really crazy gruel commanders. He's a 5-mana zero, 0 Hellion creature with one ability, and it's kind of a doozy. He has Devour X, where X is the number of creatures devoured this way. In other words, as he enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice any number of creatures. Then he enters the battlefield with X plus 1 plus 1 counters on it for each of those creatures. So if he devours one creature, he only gets 1 plus 1 counter. But if you devour two creatures, then he would get 4, because 2 times 2. Therefore, 3 times 3, you'd get 9 counters, or 4 times 4, you'd get 16 counters. So if you devour something like, you know, 7 mini tokens or whatever, you get a 49-49 creature, and that's just absolutely scary. Have you guys ever come across a Thromok in the wild? I have not. I've never seen one, but the more that we've been talking about it, just getting ready for this episode, I don't hate it, actually. It's it, Yeah, it, it gets super big, super quick. Uh, and then looking through the deck, there's some really interesting things going on that I, I kind of like. So I've never seen one, but I'm kind of hoping that I do eventually, actually. I, I did a few years back. Um, and the mul- multiplicative nature of that Devour X is really interesting because the guy that was actually playing the deck um, was playing it incorrectly. He was playing it as just like Devour X, and he thought that was a wild card. So if he'd do Devour 3, he would just put three counters on it or four counters on it. And so I assumed he was playing it right until at some point I was because because that seems underpowering then, and at some point I read the card closer. I'm like, oh no, that's that's it's way stronger than that. Yeah, very much. So it's like once right. you read it closer and realize how how that math gets out of control very quickly. I mean, it's certainly not a busted commander, but it's much more interesting than it appears on the surface. If you once you realize how that devourer actually works on on Thromach. Exactly. And I'm really excited to get into precisely how his deck works because it's pretty surprising, like like you guys mentioned. But first, we also want to lay out precisely how we're going to handle this particular deck tech. Not only do we want to use the EDHREX data to influence, you know, the stuff that we'll be putting into the deck, but I also want to, you know, stick with that Thanksgiving theme. So first up, I'll offer our main course, the meat, the potatoes, the turkey, the stuff that needs to go into the Thromach deck, the main idea of him, the stuff that you'll definitely be seeing in Thromok, and what really concretes his strategy. Up next for our next course, we'll of course be having our vegetables, the essentials, the things that you can't forget. They're maybe a little boring, but they make sure that your deck runs, and Dana will be offering up that course for us. And then we'll be finishing up with, of course, dessert, the best part of Thanksgiving, which Matt will provide us with a bunch of fun twists that we can take Thromok in new directions. You guys ready? Let's do it. Absolutely. So we're going to start off with those essentials for Thromok's strategy. Since he has Devour X, obviously the goal for us is going to be to get a bunch of tokens onto the battlefield so that he can enter, devour a bunch of them, and then be a huge creature that can, for example, one-shot our enemies with commander damage. To start off on his EDHREC page, we see a bunch of really classic green and red 
token providers, such as Mycaloth, which also has Devour and which creates Sapperlings for each creature that it's devoured every turn, Dragonlayer Spider, which is a really awesome underrated green-red token producer. It's a 5-6 six, six mana creature with reach, and whenever an opponent casts a spell, you get a 1-1 one, one green insect creature token onto the battlefield. So all your opponents have to do is play stuff, and you'll suddenly swarm the field with tokens. We've also got Awakening Zone, which provides us with Eldrazi spawn tokens. Tendershoot Dryad, which provides us with Sapperlings. Artifact Mutation, which can destroy something and give you a bunch of Sapperlings. And Colony Garden, a land that also provides you with a token. There are a ton of awesome things on his page that will allow us to spread out onto the field, get a bunch of creatures, devour them all, and then have a huge Thromach. But that's not the only piece to his strategy. The other cool thing about Thromach is that since he's really huge, but doesn't have trample, you're gonna have to look for some other places to make sure that you get some lethal damage through. Without any evasion ability, you're not gonna necessarily be able to one-shot people with his 49-49 body. So you're going to do things that you also see on the EDHREC page, like the card Fling. Two mana instant, as an additional cost to cast Fling, sacrifice a creature, and then it deals damage equal to that creature's power to target creature or player. Or, alternatively, you can use Soul's Fire. Another three mana instant, target creature you control, deals damage equal to its power to target creature or player. Once you've got a huge commander, you can just use these spells to automatically burn an opponent to death. And... That's one of the cool things about Thromach. He's not just a commander in your command zone. He's actually kind of a kill spell, which I think is really neat. But what do you guys think? Yeah, and that's, I kind of, that, that's kind of a perfect combination, too, is having that commander in your zone who both enables the thing you're trying to do and can also work with other useful spells to just win the game. Yeah, I, I like some of these effects. Uh, it's stuff that I played in my Angry Omnath deck. Not quite Soul's Fire and Fling, um, but some similar you know, that turn your creatures into, th uh, into well, kill spells, like you said, uh, Warstorm Surge, bunch of stuff like that, which is in the list down low. But I really like the start to this deck. Right. And actually, you mentioned Warstorm Surge, and that's a great thing that I wanted to get into as well. There are things that aren't just spells that you can use after Thromach is in play, but there are also cards that you can use before Thromach is in play to sort of help set up for him so that he's even more lethal when he first touches ground on the battlefield. Warstorm Surge is the six-mana red enchantment that says whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, it deals damage equal to its power to target creature or player. So as soon as Thromach enters, bam, immediately one of your opponents is out of the game. And that's before you even get the chance to maybe uh, give him haste and attack with someone. So this is like... A really surprisingly lethal deck, and I absolutely love how explosive that can be. So you mentioned Warstorm Surge. Are there any other awesome damaging spells or maybe token producers that you guys are seeing on his page that really interest you? One that I know I personally love from one of my decks that I personally love, Old Valduk, Keeper of the Flame. Yeah, you, uh, you, you might have forgotten about him, um, but there's some crossover here. Chandra's Ignition is sweet. It's really spicy. It's kind of like a Soul's Fire type of card. So three red red for a sorcery target creature you control deals damage equal to its power equal to each other creature and each opponent. So board wipe, you get your 50-50 throw mock, Chandra's Ignition, and win the game. Seems pretty good for five mana. Exactly. Yeah, it's a great card just in general, but in this kind of deck where, you know, worst case scenario, it's probably a Wrath of God for five mana. That's not terrible. Best case scenario, you win the game. That's that's a pretty good swing between being a being a board wipe and just winning. So yeah, that's a that's yeah. that card should be in almost every uh, one of these decks. Yeah, currently at fifty nine percent. I think the nice part too is with with Thromach, you're sacrificing 
most, if not all of your own creatures so that each, you know, deals damage to each other creature. You don't really have to worry about that because more than likely you're not going to have very many creatures other than Thromok. Right. And that's kind of an interesting thing with him as well. You can't necessarily rely on him sticking around for too long because if I see a 50-50 on the other side of the battlefield, I'm going to want to kill that because I don't want it coming near me, which is what makes different spells like that. Like you kind of have to prepare for the turn that Thromach enters the battlefield and, and like really hone, make sure that you find your exact moment because you need to land him and then have something like a Warstorm Surge already in play or something like the Chandra's Ignition already out so that you can then win the game or immediately delete someone with a Soul's Fire or something like that. This requires a lot more thought. This isn't the kind of thing that you can just mass a bunch of creatures, put a Thromok out, and then wait a couple turns to try and kill people because he's not going to stick around. No, he's going to have a massive target on his back. And I can you blame anybody for wanting to get this off the board <laughs> right exactly but what is kind of nice and this is a fun thing too just looking at the math of Thromok, which i know green red probably doesn't like math very much but it's something we should consider i would wager that you probably only need to have about six creatures or so in play before Thromok becomes a significantly lethal threat to most people because if you sacrifice six creatures to his devour you'll get 36 counters and most of your opponents are probably not going to remain at the 40 life they started with. So I think that around six creatures is when Thromok starts to become super lethal, which is awesome because then as we scroll around the rest of his page, we see a bunch of really cool token producers. For example, on his main creatures, we've got cards like Hornet Queen, which we all know makes a bunch of green, green insect creature tokens with flying and death touch. So you get to protect yourself while you're waiting to ramp up into the Thromok. You've also got Beetleback Chief, or Siege Gang Commander. A really neat one is Handware Garrison, which whenever it attacks, creates two 1-1 red human creature tokens. There's a bunch of awesome options to create those tokens. Are there any others that stick out to you guys? Um, I really like Wolfbriar Elemental. It's a little bit lower on the list. It's only in about 40% of decks, but it's just got multi-kicker for a green, so it's two green-green for a 4-4, and for each time you pay the kicker cost, uh, you put a 2-2 green wolf creature token on the battlefield. So it's just a really good mana sink. You know, say the game's kind of stalling out. You have, you know, 10 mana. Sink it all into there. You get a 4-4 and six two twos, uh, which is a pretty good start to a turn. So, And, you know, a vendor of Zedekar sees so much play. It's like the casual. When you think of casual players playing EDH, you think of a vendor of Zedekar. Then he printed a bunch of times. I mean, it's it's just, it's like that card that that little Timmy loves to slap down and make some tokens and swing with. And it does that here. But it also makes you those tokens that let Thromok then do something disgusting. So it's almost generally a useful card, despite costing seven mana. But it's one of those cards that does double duty, and that's always something nice to see in a deck. Yeah, this is one of the decks that it, it makes sense to go into. Yeah, I agree. You're not running it in this deck just because you want to see like the big, crazy, stompy thing that you played in junior high. It serves a purpose in this deck. Precisely. I also, I personally really like Krenko Mob Boss in this deck. Even if there isn't a particular goblin theme, Krenko can tap every turn to create a goblin token for each goblin you already control. And since he is himself a goblin, he can actually just stick out on the battlefield, regardless of whether or not you're going to sacrifice all those goblins to Thromok, to just create an overwhelming board presence if people don't deal with him quickly. So I think that's another really awesome token producer for this deck too, because he can kind of become his own win condition if people aren't paying attention. Well, and even without a dedicated goblin sub-theme, you probably just accidentally have a few goblins in the deck, whether it's from Siege right. Gang Commander or Transfer of the Forge makes goblins. Um, so there's a few other things here that you, there's a good chance you're running that also put 
those little bodies in the field. Um, Worth Raid Mother does. So, I mean, yes, it's great. It's it's perfectly acceptable if you are just tapping Cranko every turn. But there's also a pretty decent chance you're not just getting goblins from Cranko. You might have some other ones already in play. Right. And then finally, I want to touch on one other cool aspect of the main feature of Thromux strategy. And that's simply the fact that since we're making a bunch of tokens and we're in red, we should be using effects like Perforos, God of the Forge. Because Perforos is just completely deadly when you're making a bunch of creatures. He deals two damage to each opponent every time a creature enters the battlefield. So in some cases, if you land a Perforos early and people can't get rid of it because it's hard to get rid of an indestructible enchantment who isn't even a creature, then you can just create a bunch of those tokens with all of your awesome Hornet Queens and Avenger of Zendikars and then just machine gun down the entire table before you even have to cast your commander. So that's another really cool strategy that you could encompass as well. Not only do you have a ton of creatures in play, but they're all dealing tons of damage. And you have the happy accident of turning those creatures into a one huge throw mock and then flinging it at someone too. So there's a lot of really, really lethal options in store for this throw mock deck. I dig. I dig it. <laughs> but those are the really awesome fun bits obviously but you know we can't just focus on those big powerful plays we also have to eat our vegetables so dana i'm gonna let you take it away now and force us to eat our vegetables and remind us to play the cards that we need to make sure that the deck works the way it oughta you know turkey tastes great the mashed potatoes are great and then at the end of the meal you get the pecan pie or the pumpkin pie or, or whatever dessert matt's gonna bring for us but you can't just live on starch and meats alone. You need to have some vegetables. So the, the first thing I, I will bring, the first dish I will bring to pass, you just have to have some removal. Someone is going to play a card that's a problem, and you are going to have to deal with that problem. So the first two I would start with in, in, in a deck like this would be Beast Within and Chaos Warp. They solve anything. Anything that comes out, they will deal with that problem at instant speed for three mana. Are, are those cards, you, you guys, like, roughly, if you're playing red <laughs> or playing green, are those go-tos for you? They're, before I add anything else, frankly, I start with those. Yeah, that's, that was kind of my thought as well. Like, there's probably other things I would run, but I would add that, that would be the, the first vegetable I would put down on the table. That's the green beans and the corn. That's what we start with. Beast Within and Chaos Warp. Which is so funny, because Beast Within shows up in 40% of Thromach decks, but Chaos Warp only shows up in 17% of them. Exactly. And I think people get kind of caught up on the fact that it, it gives your opponent something off the top of their library. It's usually a land. I mean, there's, there's a 35% you know, chance it's just a land, and there's still a pretty high percent after that where it's just going to be a spell they can't use. You know, occasionally, yes, you flip an Elish Norn or something, but the vast majority of the time... They get nothing useful, and you've just stopped that Blight Steel for Colossus from swinging through, or you've just stopped that doubling season that somebody else has from making a zillion tokens. Right, exactly. So those are, of course, staple removal spells. Are there other removal spells that you suggest that we run? Uh, Artifact Mutation came up before, and that's a perfect one for this kind of deck because, it, number one, solves a problem, but number two, it makes you bodies that um, can be sacrificed to throw mock. And it's also a, a card where I will note that it isn't reliant on destroying the artifact to actually make those tokens. Those are two separate clauses. So if someone has a Darksteel Forge out or something, you can absolutely hit the Darksteel Forge to make seven tokens. Because it gives you tokens based on the CMC of the artifact, but you don't have to actually destroy it to get the bodies. Ooh, so in that case, it would actually make you nine because Darksteel Forge yeah, is nine. nine. So yeah, so that's one thing to remember. In that case, it's a great removal spell. 
But if you want to use it to just hit the biggest thing to make you tokens, even if it has indestructible, you are still going to get your tokens. So that one came before. That one's perfect. And I like Peer's Whim a lot in this deck. It was the newer card out of Battle mm. Bond where you can go get a land and your um, opponents all sacrifice an artifact or enchantment. It's a removal spell, which is which is really, really useful. And you're almost always going to get them to sacrifice something useful. You know, occasionally someone will have a token, uh, like a treasure deck or something, and they're going to just lose a, a Thopter token or what have you. But most of the time you're going to hit something good. But you're also going to go get a Nykthos, or you're going to go get a Flamekin Village to give Thromach haste, or a Hanweir Battlements to give it haste, or a Rogue's Passage so you can swing through untouched, or Kessig Wolf Run to give it trample. Um, so that that is another card, like Artifact Mutation, that's doing double duty. It's going to remove things off the board, and it's going to give you a fantastic land that's going to enable you to win the game. Very nice. I like that a lot. So so after we talk removal, and, and, and you definitely, you know, you can run more, but I would start with like a with, a, with, a, with that first serving of, of, <laughs> of beans and corn with a few spells. And then, then for more vegetables you want to move on, you have to have a little draw on this deck or you're just going to be uh, hellbent after turn five or six here. You need to have something to put cards back in your hand. Rish card's expertise, Matt's yeah. favorite card. <laughs> and we're talking my language. And what do you know? It draws you cards based on the power of the largest creature you control. And I think in this deck, that's going to be a pretty large creature fairly often. It better be, I suppose. So I like Rishkar's expertise in this deck. It's a, it's, it's, you know, no one likes her vegetables for the most part, <laughs> but, but these are Thanksgiving vegetables. They're, they're, they're tastier than your average vegetable. This is absolutely true. But, you know, we're not always going to have Thromach in play. We're also going to have a bunch of 1-1s one sometimes because we've only been making Zapperlings. So do you have any other draw spells that we would use then? You know, if you if you have your bodies out and Thromach isn't in play, you have cards like Shamanic Revelation that draw you a card for each creature you control. And if you happen to have Thromach out, you gain some life too. But Shamanic Rev at 5 mana, you don't need to draw a lot of cards. You know, there's going to be those games when you have 9 tokens in play and you draw 9 cards. But if you have Thromach and 2 tokens out, that's still not much worse than a Harmonize. So yeah, Shamanic Revelation is a really good card. I would definitely have that in here as one of your, your vegetable um, cards. And you also have some other things like, you know, I mentioned Harmonize. You can do way worse than most decks in Harmonize. It's always going to put 3 cards into your hand. Yeah, and frankly, I've I've been kind of on a kick about that in past episodes where I just really like the, the one-shot effects that get me cards into my hand right now because that's when I need them. Yeah, I think you want to diversify a little bit and have those big, huge home run cards like Expertise and like Shamanic Rev, but it's good to have that consistent base that gets you cards in hand regardless of what's happening in the game. I think moving forward, we just need to like make Harmonize Dana's official card like your your Twitter avatar should be just the card art of Harmonize. I I am a I am a fan of that card for sure. <laughs> so so after your draw, and I think you know you definitely probably want some more than that. But that's a good that's a good place to start. Um, you need some ramp too. We're playing green. You have to have some ramp in green, right? Yeah, I mean it's you're contractually obligated. Really, I, I, I as far as I understand it, you absolutely are. When Richard Garfield made this game, he said if you're playing green, you have to ramp. Or or <laughs> why are you not playing Yu-Gi-Oh? <laughs> why? I don't know if that's factually it's, correct. It's, it is in that first rule book. Look it up. Okay. I, I, I'll get my hands on one right away. <laughs> so, you know, Artifact Ramp is useful. Of course, you're going to put a Soul Ring in your deck, but it's also good to, you know, you're in green. The lands are tough to blow up. And, and I'm a personal believer that you don't want to go way too hard on land ramp. 
particularly if you are in a play group that is the same people frequently because that's going to make them want to blow up your lands. If you push it too hard, you want to, you want to, you know, keep it kind of subtle. You want to rip a few lands, but not be too annoying about it. Have a few artifacts still for, to diversify. If someone does drop an Armageddon on you. So have a couple artifacts and then a few kind of low key ramp spells like nature's lore. They'll get you your dual lands into play untapped for two mana. Sky Shard clan will get you two of them into play untapped because it can go get a forest. So, so you have multiple, duels with the forest type you can get a few of those ramp yourself ahead of the next person and you know you probably want to have more than just those two or three spells with soul ring but that's the base where you start get a few of those ramp spells and season to uh, your tastes yeah so here's a kind of a weird question what about some of the creatures that provide ramp so for example there's sakura tribe elder but there's also wood elves or maybe yavamaya elder another one that i'm seeing pretty low on thromox page is viridian emissary when it dies you get a land what do you think of those creature versions of land ramp i think it's a it's this this is a good deck deck to mix that kind of stuff in you usually pay a little bit more to sakura tribe elder maybe now but like wood elves to get the land you have to pay three mana versus two for nature's lore and it comes into play or it doesn't come to play tap with in case of wood elves but you are paying the extra mana however it's leaving a body behind for Thromach. so you're also you know you're, you're also getting around you know the decks that do things when you cast a a non-creature spell versus creature spell this is kind of like talking about land ramp and artifact ramp it's good to mix those up as well you it's, it's a good idea to have cards like nature's lore and sky shroud claim but maybe you also want to do Sakura Tribe Elder so you can, if you need the body, you can sacrifice it. Or Wood Elves, so you go get your land and still have that body there to sacrifice. Right. In this case, I think something like Wood Elves is probably a good idea because it does leave that body there. But something like Viridian Emissary, since it has to die before you get the land, you kind of want to keep the bodies around for Thromach. And right. in order to cast Thromach, maybe Viridian Emissary would have to die before you can actually cast them. So maybe leave the Death Trigger ones out, but I do kind of like the idea of having the Enters of Battlefield ones like Wood Elves or maybe Farhaven Elf too. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you guys bring up a really good point just about the bodies that turn into fuel for Thromach. Stuff like even Elvish Mystic and, and Llanowar Elves, they're really efficient early game that get you to where you want to be. You know, casting all your, your three drops on turn two, stuff like that. They're lower on the list, you know, Elvish Mystic and, and Llanowar Elves, they're both around like the 25% mark. I think they're actually not too bad here because, like we said, once you have all the lands you need to function, it, they, it's not like Viridian Emissary where they need to die. You know, they they make mana to get Thromach out and then, you know, they sacrifice them to Thromach. I, I don't hate Banna Dorks in this deck probably as much as some people would in other decks. For sure. Because, like, I mean, you oftentimes feel bad drawing that Llanowar Elves in turn eight. Um, when you know you, you, you've you've got to a point in the game where you just don't need the ramp necessarily, it doesn't feel nearly as badly here when you can cast that and then sack it immediately. To mm -hmm. Next time, Thormod comes into play. Yep. Yeah, I like that. And actually, oh, are, they, are there any? Oh, sorry, oh I was going to say it. Actually, uh, Solemn Simulacrum. I don't like the sad robot a whole lot, but it it, it fits here um, yeah. because it's free free fuel. Like I said, free fuel for Thromach. Yeah, it's it's doing double duty, which is the, which is. I mean, the more cards you have in your deck that play multiple roles, particularly simultaneously, in this case with Solemn, where it's going to you know draw you a card and ramp you and then provide fodder for Thromach, that's, that's ideal. The more things you have like that in your deck that do a bunch of things simultaneously that you want, the better. Alrighty, I'm liking it. Are there any other vegetables that you're going to force us to eat, Dad? The how much starch? How much starch do we need? The last one, I will say. 
graveyard hate. I know Joey's not going to like to hear it. <laughs> no. He's not going to uh, like to hear this. But uh, it's not always about you. Sometimes you have to. <laughs> sometimes you have to. You know what? No one likes pecan pie. Or sorry, pumpkin pie. No one likes pumpkin pie. But maybe your aunt does. What? Pumpkin pie. When pecan pie exists, why would you have pumpkin pie? Because but pumpkin pie is better. You are you are insane. And, and I'm fairly certain that is also in the Alpha Beta rule book that Richard Garfield wrote that pecan <laughs> pie is better than pumpkin pie. It's okay that you're okay. wrong, but you can you know, continue that with your point. You look up the other one, it's, but I'm, I'm fairly sure it's in there. Um, but you have to sometimes do things for other people. And in this case, graveyard hate, you have to protect yourself. You know, there's a lot of great card scavenging ooze is powerful and will fit in this deck. And if you don't need it, you can then also sacrifice it as a way to feed Thromach. Scavenger Grounds is a land I feel like should be in almost any deck. A Relic of Progenitus always does work. So you want at least a couple of things in this deck that can deal with someone's out-of-control graveyard if, if they happen to be a necromancer that you know. Begrudgingly, I will admit that you're correct, but I'm not happy about it. I'm very happy. <laughs> not about pecan pie, though. But, you know. <laughs> but now that we've had our starches and had our meats and, and, and eaten our vegetables... We've left a little bit of room left. That's right. There's always room. Alrighty, Matt. Take us away with the dessert portion of Thromach. So I'm I'm not going to agree with Dana's point about pecan pie because I'm not 60 and go to the Knights of Columbus for my Thanksgiving dinner. Well, but I am going to give you guys some that everybody likes and some that makes the holidays actually a little more bearable. I'm going to get I'm going to bring some liquor to the party, actually. Some, some that's <laughs> going to make everybody fight. Not the dessert that I anticipated. Uh, but it's it's dessert nonetheless. Nothing, just a little bit of, of bourbon just to let everything settle in. That's, oh, I, I can't describe it enough. So that's why I'm going to bring some some fun to this deck. Um, some that, yeah. you know, if you have too much bourbon, nerves get a little short, tempers flare a little bit, and it turns into a fight club. And so that's what I want to do with this deck and, and twist it a little bit. So we talked a lot about uh, token makers, one of my favorite ones is Hornet Queen, who makes you know a bunch of Death Touch tokens and has Death Touch herself. You also have some other creatures like Acidic Slime that seems to be in every green deck. But there was one that was really, really spicy that I like. So in 17% of all Thromach decks, there's a creature called Hornet Nest, which is two and a green for a 0-2 defender. Whenever Hornet Nest is dealt damage, put that many 1-1 green insect creature tokens with Flying and Death Touch death touch onto the battlefield. So it got me thinking, and it kind of blends into Dana's point about you need removal. You need some of those vegetables. So what better than to make people fight that hornet nest? So stuff like Uvenwald Tracker, just pay one in a green, you tap it, and you have two creatures fight. So turning this into a kind of a fight club type deck, you have a lot of death touch blockers that are going to buy you time. People don't want to attack into, you know, a hornet queen with all of her, you know, minions with death touch. So you force the action a little bit with some of these fight cards that you get in red and green, which I think just brings a little bit of spice. You know, you, you take advantage of all those tokens that you're making. So stuff like Satessan Tactics, which is uh, a fight card, instant speeds fight card, uh, and you can cast it more than once basically with its special ability. Uh, a land like Arena where you pay three and tap it, target creature you control, fights another creature you don't control. Stuff like this is just easy ways to pick off other creatures and give you time to build up to Thromach. You know, sometimes people know when you cast Thromach, you're up to no good. They see that your army of tokens, they're going to counter it a couple times. They're going to kill it. Uh, you're going to fling it even. 
So you're going to have to be recasting. So you're going to need to buy yourself time to reestablish. So with all these tokens, I, I think doing a little death touch fight club theme with prey upon and those kind of cards is really fun. But I also like some of these, some of these vegetable cards that Dana was talking about. You'll also notice that Wart the Raid Mother is in 16% of all these Throwmock decks. And Wart is for a uh, hybrid red-green, uh, two of those. And when Wart the Raid Mother enters the battlefield, she creates two uh, red and green Goblin Warrior tokens. So it gives you those tokens right off the bat. But each red or green instant or sorcery spell you cast has Conspire. Uh, so that reads, as you cast a spell, you may tap uh, up to two untapped creatures you control that share the same color with it. And when you do, copy it, and you may choose new targets for the copy. So if you're doing, you know, your Chaos Warp, tap two of your red tokens, get another Chaos Warp. It's a way to use those tokens and just buy yourself more time, drag the game out. Uh, it's I really like these two little sub-themes as a way just to drag the game out, get more value out of those tokens that you're building up. Uh, in you know, in the process of getting your hundred hundred throw mock the insatiable, that is pretty interesting, and I do kind of like the idea of having a twist in here because you know sometimes when you play the same deck that has a very linear strategy over and over again, you want a little bit of variance, and that particular fight spell variance is definitely going to throw some people off, particularly with and I, I hesitate to say this because I think people might disagree with me, but they will be wrong. Like, particularly with how powerful that effect is, because one of my buddies has a Ronus the Indomitable deck, Exactly. And that thing's disgustingly powerful in ways that I did not anticipate. Ronus the Indomitable has Death Touch himself and is indestructible. He's one of those uh, gods from Amonkhet. So all that he did was fill it with a ton of fight spells, and then Ronus won't die to the fight spell, and all of the enemy creatures in his way absolutely will. Yes. Which means that green has a bunch of doom blades. And when green has a bunch of doom blades, things get really, really dicey for you. It gets So that's why I like this twist. Yeah, very, very unfair. And the nice part about it, too, is Ronus has an activated ability, so you can pay two and a green. Target creature you control gets plus two, plus zero, oh, and trample until end of turn, which conveniently gives our commander trample. And it's it's hard to get Ronus off the battlefield. He do, He's not an enchantment. Um, he's always a creature, so he can get, you know, swords to plowshared, stuff like that. But he helps push damage through with your commander that needs evasion. We talked about that before. It's very, very powerful in this type of deck. Ronus is a card I absolutely would play in here. Um, none of these cards, none of these sub-themes outside of what I mentioned with like Hornet Queen, Hornet Nest, Wart, stuff like that. None of these are on the the, the rec page at all. Ronus is not showing up in Throwmock the Insatiable decks at all on the rec page. Neither are any of these fight cards like Arena or Ancient Animus, stuff like that. I, I think... That's a way that you can, you know, look for these small th- sub-themes using cards that are on a rec page and, and kind of taking it one step further, doing a little bit of our own little twist on it. Um, and we get a very, very fun deck as a result. Well, yeah. and, Dana, what are your thoughts? Well, I, and I think, you know, talking about like cards that do double duty and have, you know, extra synergy with the deck, the Hornet, Hornet Nest, excuse me, is a perfect example of that. You know, you talk about it being a card that you can get out that will let you survive until you get Thromach out. Or you can also use it, you know, to generate tokens with a fight effect. But we also mentioned Chandra's Ignition earlier. Like, there's going to be times when you're going to pop Chandra's Ignition with Throwmock out, you know, when he's a 24-24 or whatever, and do a ridiculous amount of damage to everyone, and then make 24 Hornet tokens. Yes. Because, it, like, it's, it actually, you know, triggers off of damage, not just combat damage. So even, like, Blasphemous Act, which this is a red-green deck, and you're probably going to have that as one of your board wipes as well, you know, 
if this is out when a blasphemous act goes off, you're going to make 13 more tokens, which then when you recast um, Droma, uh, excuse me, Thromach on the next turn, you have a ridiculous amount of bodies in play for that as well. So it's, it's a card that like is functional at every single point in the game, if not excellent at every point in the game. And there's a lot of those here. A lot of the ones you mentioned are cards that are like that, where they, they're just always useful and they're always useful in multiple ways, which is ideal for a deck. And, and one thing about Hornet Nest too, I almost always forget that's a card. Uh, it's just sneaky good. And you see it on the paddle, you're like, oh yeah, that really is a card. I, I totally forgot about it. And it messes up the dynamics of a game. You can't attack into a Hornet Nest unless you know you're going to kill them because more than likely you're going to give them 10 plus tokens when you're doing that kind of an alpha swing. It gets really, really dicey. And man, I, I, I love Hornet Nest. It's, it's a card that I forgot about until we started this episode, but I know I'm probably going to go buy a couple and find a place, you know, in all, you know, a couple of my decks. Yeah, that's a really cool theme. I really like that twist for this deck to make sure that you stay protected so you can ramp up to your strategy. And since we were discussing removal, things like Blasphemous Act just a second ago, I also want to bring up another really on theme fight card here, and that's Azuri's Predation. So that's five green, green, green for a sorcery that says for each creature your opponent's control, put a four, four green beast creature token onto the battlefield. Each of those beasts fights a different one of those creatures. This is an excellent green removal spell that I don't see played nearly enough that could supply you with a ton of bodies for Thromok to eat and which can clear the board of a bunch of really annoying stuff that your opponents control. So that could be another really great option to add as well. Definitely, that's a, yeah. That's a, that's a good choice for sure. I'm, I'm not super keen on, on Azuri's Predation when it first came out, but I, I do agree that this is probably a really good spot for it. Right, but it doesn't show up on Thromox page at all, which kind of segues me into the last segment for this deck tech, and that is challenging the stats. I just mentioned Azuri's Predation, which is something that I'm challenging the stats on. It's not on his on Thromox page, but I think it should. So then let's also challenge some stats of the cards that are showing up on Thromox page, but we don't think deserve all the hype. You guys want to start us off? Let's do it. Okay, so I, I will I can begin here, gentlemen, since you know I did the vegetables, so uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll start off with this. There's two lands in the deck. I think people need to reconsider. These are ones I have talked about before and even wrote an article on EDH Rec about not loving. And that is Terramorphic Expanse and Evolving Wilds. Of course it is. And and they're in thirty-two percent of the decks for Terramorphic Expanse and forty percent for Evolving Wilds. And you know what? I understand the cards are very useful on a, on a very budget list, particularly if you're looking at a three or four or five color deck when you are trying to keep the price really low. They will go get whatever whatever basic you need to, to fill that void. But this isn't a three color deck or a four color deck or a five color deck. It's a two color deck. And you just have so many land options and your your mana requirements are are much leaner too when your commander only requires one red and one green. I feel like you just don't need to be using an Evolving Wilds to go get a basic land into play tapped to fix your mana. Not in, not in this kind of deck, not in a green deck where you have access to ramp that will go get you colors as well. Right. Just playing a Guild Gate will still get you the two colors that you need, and it would be a tapped land as opposed to the Evolving Wilds, which would be a tapped land that only provides one style of color that you need. Right. Even if you want to pair it with Avenger of Zendikar, I know that's a really awesome landfall ability, but that's not really worth it when you just need to sometimes fix up your mana. It's, yeah, I can see cutting that land. Matt? 
What about you? What do you think are some cards that we shouldn't see as popular as we do? So I'm going to go against all the EDH gods and say that Panharmonicon might be a little overplayed in this deck. So Panharmonicon is four for an artifact that says, if an artifact or creature entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. So if you're going very hard in the paint with effects like uh, Warstorm Surge or uh, Siege Gang Commander trying to, to make a bunch of tokens, Panharmonicon is pretty good. The issue is I think a lot of people are going to think that Panharmonicon affects Thromox ability of Devour, which it absolutely does not. Devour is a one-time thing. Plus, it doesn't really, with especially with Thromox, if you think you're going to Devour twice and get XX, well, like, remember that Thromox X Devour ability, um, it scales. So you want to do it all at once. You don't want to do a Devour, then a smaller Devour, um, because you're selling yourself short. So if you're playing Panharmonicon to make Thromox even bigger, that's not what you want to be doing. I don't think it's worth a spot. It's only in 23% of decks, but I do think that might be a little high on, because even with all the Warstorm Surge type effects, you really need to have probably one or two of those out there to really make it worthwhile. And it's just a lot of work to get, you know, basically three other cards working in conjunction to, to make it worth playing. Right. Thromok doesn't work with Panharmonicon at all because it's not an enters the battlefield ability. It's an as he enters the battlefield, which is actually different. If it was a triggered ability, he would be a 0-0 and then state-based effects would delete him before that ability gets the chance to trigger. So it really doesn't affect him at all. And I think you're right that there just aren't quite enough enter the battlefield effects in this particular deck to justify using the Panharmonicon. A lot of our best token producers, for example, they're not cards like Avenger of Zendikar, which is great, but a lot of the other ones that we're seeing here are stuff like Tendershoot Dryad or Awakening Zone, and that's just not going to get as much benefit. So yeah, I'm totally with you. I don't think that Panharmonicon deserves the slot. I'll move on to mine now. I'm going to be challenging a pretty tricky one, and that's the card Traverse the Outlands. So this is a five mana green sorcery that says to search your library for up to X basic land cards where X is the greatest power among creatures you control, put those cards onto the battlefield tapped, and then shuffle your library. I do really, really like Traverse the Outlands, but for Thromok, it feels a little cart before the horse. It, it's just a bit awkward to me. Generally, what I think this deck needs to do is to ramp up a bunch and get a bunch of creatures, usually tiny creatures, into play before it casts Thromok. So you need to have everything set up before he's actually on the field. And Traverse the Outlands is kind of most effective once he's already in play. And there's just no way, no matter how many lands Traverse the Outlands will get you with Thromok, that the game should honestly be over the turn that you play him. You should be removing a person, not searching for more lands after you play him. So I just don't think that this deserves to see 49% popularity on his page, because I'm not sure that it's doing things in the order that you want to do them. Yeah, I think that's a card that you want to be playing in your landfall deck, where those triggers are going to do something disgusting that wins the game. It's not doing that here. It's a lot of mana to ramp after the fact. I think you're completely right. Yeah, something else that I might put in this slot instead is the card Harvest Season. This is from Almonket. It's a three-mana green sorcery that says to search your library for up to X basic land cards where X is the number of tapped creatures you control and put those onto the battlefield then shuffle your library. And that kind of does things in the correct order because you're going wide with a bunch of tokens. You can make some cursory small attack about them and then get a bunch of lands in play. Hopefully, if all of your creatures are still alive, you can then cast Thromok and some other big spell afterwards because those tiny creatures helped you get a bunch more lands in play rather than one big 
creature helping you get lands in play when you don't necessarily need them. Yeah, I think Traverse the Outlands just it's too expensive for what it does, especially as a follow-up play to stuff like Throwmock or any of your, your other big creatures. I do agree that that 49%, it's a little steep. Like I, I will never say don't play Traverse the Outlands when it's in a you know, Omnath Locus of Rage deck, for example, where it right. is absolutely incredible. But in Throwmock specifically, I, I I do agree. This might be a little overplayed. All right. Any others sticking out to you guys? I think those are the big ones that jumped out at me for the most part. And, and, and I will say I like the choices both you guys made there. I do like Second Harvest a lot. And it looks like a lot of people are playing it. It's in 58% of decks. But uh, Second Harvest is just two and two green to... Uh, basically double the amount of tokens you have. Hello, dog. Alrighty, those were some fun challenges stats. That was a fun Thanksgiving meal. I am still insatiable just like Throwmock, but guys, that was a really fun deck tech. I agree. This, I, I've been looking through this deck, and like the more I look at it, the more I'm like, you know, Omnath has gotten kind of repetitive. This looks really fun. And that's what the spirit of Thanksgiving is all about, is being endlessly greedy in your search to devour, 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 and trying out new things, or something like that. I I don't think that's how it works, but I'll I'll trust you. (laughs) Just as long as we can finish the meal with liquor. Uh, That's, uh, okay. Yeah, you're the guy that doesn't drink, Joey, so you don't get a vote. That's true. I will stick to my pumpkin and pecan pie because you know what? I like both of them. And on that bizarre note, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. You can find the Throwmock deck list that we come up with in the show notes for this episode. And I hope that you guys enjoyed this Thanksgiving-y hungry deck tech on the Thanksgiving holiday. I hope that you have a good one. I'd like to thank my co-hosts so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? So you can find me on Twitter's at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. And you can hear me once a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Ken Eschnorn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. You can follow EDHREC and the EDHREC cast on Facebook and Twitter. We're doing a giveaway when EDHREC gets 5,000 likes and when EDHREC cast gets 1,000 followers on Twitter. So head on over there to smash those like buttons for a chance at a cool prize. You can also contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com and find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast. This podcast is posted every week on EDHREC's community content spotlight section, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. And hey, next week, I think we'll be talking about that Ultimate Masters set, because you know what? It looks pretty darn awesome. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Enjoy your holidays, everyone. Sweet enough sweet enough for second place. Oh. I think I... If you start to complain about the friend zone, we're going to have issues. No, no, no. <laughs> Let's not add that controversy into this episode, please.